Acts chapter 2, verse number 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. One of the the great passages of the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, and and the beginnings of the New Testament church. We'll get to that. But I want to ask you guys, have you ever been to an awkward part of your family reunion before? I've been to awkward family reunions before. I think most of us have been to awkward family reunions, and it's usually your your in-laws' family that's the awkward family reunion. I can think of times growing up, it wasn't my in well, I'll get to that, but there was one time growing up where, uh, and I don't think my wife is in here so I can tell this story, but uh, this is the second story. I'll get, the first one here is, um, is about, so on my dad's side, he's Italian, so that means I'm half Italian, and I remember family reunions at my dad's family's house. And you want to talk about a bunch of Italian people getting together for a family reunion. You want to talk about drama. You want to talk about loud. They're either very angry or they're very in love. Everything is big. Everything is dramatic. And at, my, at this family reunion, this Italian family reunion, I'm telling you, that you think of the stereotype Italian people. This is it. This is it. Pasta going all over the place. You, people sticking their their, uh, their paper napkins in their shirt, and it's hanging down just like the Italians. And there's meatballs going everywhere. There's hand motions everywhere. There's Italian accents all over the place. My grandma's just cooking up a storm of pasta. It didn't matter if it was Thanksgiving, Christmas. There was always pasta there. There was always somebody angry, always somebody in love, always something going on. And and so it was just everything was always big. All of the hand motions, big, you know, all, all, a lot of this, you know. Hey, what, what are you doing? You eat your meatball. You know, this is how, this is, what are you doing? You need to eat your meatball. And so my grandma, she would sometimes in these awkward family reunions, you know how grandmas are. They like to pinch your cheeks and they want to, there's lots of kisses on the cheeks going on in an Italian family. And so just very awkward as a kid, you're getting all of this, all this awkward touch. And it's just, it's just, it's just Italian people, just how they are. And I can remember sometimes my grandma, she was an immigrant from Italy. Italy. And so if you've ever watched the movie, My Big, Fat, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, it's exactly like that, only My Big Fat Italian Christmas. And so, I mean, the hand motions, the drama, the plastic covered couches, I mean, the whole thing. So sometimes my grandma, she would, she would want to, she would want us, she knew that it wasn't fun for us. So she'd take us to the other room and she'd put cartoons on, only she would look at some of these cartoons and think they, they were appropriate cartoons and really they were cartoons like South Park and my grandma would be like oh it's, it's a Mickey Mouse you sit down and watch and my parents would be like no you can't watch that you know you, that, this is, your grandma just doesn't understand this you can't watch that so awkward awkward family reunions now I get to my wife so the first family reunion I had with my wife which is actually just a couple of years ago um, she lives in Michigan her, her family lives in Michigan they, she's like related to half the town that she grew up in right one of those kinds of situations and we go to her her grandpa's house with half the town obviously they're all related half the town's like meeting here and they're all going to this this family reunion but he my wife's grandpa is a big hunter 
and he has a massive house. He's a big hunter. So we're having this Christmas dinner, and they love their mashed potatoes and, and their meat, right? That's all they eat, mashed potatoes. I mean, I'm talking about they have pots and pots of mashed potatoes. We're talking about good people, like, heart, like, like salt of the earth people, mashed potatoes. My gran- or her grandpa would get an entire plate just full, just of mashed potatoes. And so we're all sitting there, all 100 of us, and in, in, my gran- in, in her grandpa's house. And the funny thing is because he's a big hunter. He, hunts all around the world, there's all these big animals. There's all these stuffed animals around the house. Only they're, they're real dead stuffed animals, right? They're, they're real dead stuffed animals all over the house. And so I'm eating my meat, and there's this bear looking over me, and I'm wondering, am I, am I eating this bear? Am I eating this bear's kids? Like, what's going on here? Just a very awkward thing. I would hate to spend the night there uh, because I would, I would, you know, it'd be a very scary thing. But lots of awkward family reunions. You guys ever had one of those? That's not how you want your family to be. That's not how you want things. Sometimes gathering with other people can be awkward. Sometimes gathering with other people can suck the life out of you. I know my wife is like this. When she talks to people, she gets done talking to people for a long time. She just, oh, I have a headache. I'm just, she's an introvert. I have a headache talking to people. Sometimes gathering with other people can suck the life out of you. What if, what if there was a gathering that instead of draining the life from you, It breathed life into you. What if there's a gathering of people that instead of coming away feeling like you're exhausted, you came away feeling like you were encouraged? What if there was a gathering of people that instead of feeling like you were just giving of yourself and there was nothing left of you, you came away feeling like you were a better person? The good news is there is a gathering of people like that. It's called the church. And you are invited to it. We need a family that isn't like an awkward extended family. We need a family that's like a loving, close-knit family. So when Jesus ascended up into heaven, he left his 12 disciples. And his 12 disciples, they, they, they were go around the entire Jerusalem area, the entire region. And eventually they'd go throughout the entire world giving the gospel to people. Well, they started this by uh, on the day of Pentecost, which is a holy day in the Jewish religion. In Judaism, this is a holy day where people from all around the world, people from all around the Roman Empire would gather to the temple at Jerusalem. They'd gather together and they'd worship God. Well, the disciples, the first time they ever started to go out and give the gospel to people was on this day at Pentecost, and it was in the temple at Jerusalem. There's literally tens of thousands of people that they can pack into this temple area. And this is where the disciples are. And some of the disciples stand up in front of all of these thousands of people and they preach the gospel. They preach the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people get saved at one time on the day of Pentecost. Well, these new believers, after this happens, these new believers, they started to grow in their faith. But something happened to these new believers. They became a group of believers. These individual believers, something happened to these individual believers where they started to gather with a group of believers. They started to gather around each other. They started to do life together with other believers, with other people who professed Jesus Christ. And I want to show you, I want to show you uh, why the local church is one of the most amazing things God has ever created. Because that's what this group of people was. That's what they were. They were the first local church, the church at Jerusalem. And what a church is, it's a, it's a unique, called-out assembly of people. In ecclesia is what the Bible calls it in the original language. A called-out assembly of people, a called-out group of people that are committed to Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. But I want to show you why this is such an amazing thing. I want to show you why church, us 
here this morning is an amazing thing. Look at verse number 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They were together and they had all things common. So these people in Acts chapter 2, they'd become incredible, incredible people, but they didn't start that way. Remember, these people had come from out throughout the entire world at this time. They'd come from Asia. They'd come from, uh, they'd come from Britain. They'd come from uh, Italy. They'd come from uh, Africa someplace. They'd come throughout the entire world, and they met together, and they trusted Jesus Christ uh, together. You couldn't ask for, you couldn't get a more disparate, a more diverse group of people. These people had nothing in common. These people had different cultures. They lived in different cultures. They held different values. They didn't eat the same. They didn't, they didn't uh, speak the same language. They didn't uh, have the same values. They lived in different cultures. They, did almost, they had almost nothing in common. Yet, in verse number 44, they're together and they have all things common. A diverse group of people that have almost nothing in common coming together, and the Bible says they're together and they have all things common. Why did they start acting and living like that? How is it that people that were so different, that had almost nothing in common, could come together and, and, and live like this? And here's why. Because they understood that the church isn't just a group of believers. It's a family of believers. You see, it wasn't just some regular group. It wasn't some social club. This, was, this, was, this wasn't just a group of people. This was a family of believers. The church is a new family. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ, the moment you became uh, an individual who trusted Christ, you were placed into a spiritual family. This family is called the church. Why do we need the church? Because the church is a family for the believer. The church is a family. You know what I love about going home? I'm driving around, or I've been going to L.A., San Diego, and I come home. You know, I love going home. Because when I go home, I can sit down on the couch, I can turn the TV on, or I can open a book, and I can, I can just be myself, right? I can relax. I don't have to worry about being somebody. I don't have to worry. I can be myself. With, when I'm with my wife, we're at home, we're just relaxing. We can eat. I let my hair down. And you can just, you can be imperfect when you're at home. It's okay to show vulnerabilities, to be real when you're at home because you're around people who love you. You're around people who are with you. You're around people who are doing life together with you. You're around family. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is a family. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's the place we can call home. It's the people we can call family. And you see, as you walked in this morning, you saw a sign that says, Welcome home. That isn't something we just put there just, just so we can put it there. It's supposed to mean something so that when you walk through these doors, every time you walk through these doors, you know that you are home. You know that you are with a family. You know that this place, this church, is a spiritual family for you. This is the place where you can let down your hair. This is a place where you can be real with people. This is a place where you can be vulnerable with others because this is your spiritual family. And you see this in Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle Paul talks about this. He says, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. You are not a stranger. You're not a foreigner. You are a fellow citizen. You are in the household of God. Because of Jesus, we are not strangers. We are not foreigners. We are members of the family of God. And that's an amazing thing because that means if you are a member of the family of God, you are not doing life alone. You are not journeying through life alone. You are not journeying. Your journey is not a solo mission. 
You have an entire spiritual family behind you, beside you, in front of you, lifting you up, doing life with you. I don't know how many of you guys remember the old 80s war movies, the old 80s commando movies. You guys remember Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Chuck Norris, my personal favorite. Back in the day, these guys, I remember some of these movies and this was, these, these guys were, these guys were just the guy, Chuck Norris, he's just everyone's hero, right? He's just everyone's hero. These guys, back in the 80s, there was all these cheesy movies, right? They weren't actually really that good. There's all these cheesy movies, and maybe some of you older that might disagree with me. That's fine. I'm right. Uh, these cheesy movies, uh, these cheesy movies were, were always these, these guys where it was a one-man army, right? It was never like, there wasn't a team. It was always like Lone Wolf McQuaid. Literally, that's the name of it. Lone Wolf McQuaid. It was always Rambo. He's the one guy that's going to go up against everybody. You know, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger is the one guy that's going to go up against everybody. And it turned out, aside from it being unrealistic, right? Nobody actually, nobody back then believed it. And today we even think, well, this is just unrealistic. Aside from it being unrealistic, these guys would come away and they'd be shot up, they'd be cut, they'd be half dead. These guys would be hobbling out of the war zone or out of the field or out of some country. They'd be half dead because they're doing it all by themselves. They're doing it all solo. That's not how God made and created the Christian life. God designed the Christian life to be together, to do life together, to do life with other people. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to wade through the good times and the bad times by yourself. You have a heavenly father who is for you, who is with you. You have a family of believers beside you, and that family is the church. The church is a new family. And look at how the new believers, look at how these believers, just as early as Acts chapter 2, look at how they treated each other. Look at how they behaved. Verse number 45, and sold their possessions and goods, these new believers, and parted them to all men as every man had need. So in verse 45, the believers, they don't just believe they were in a new family. They acted like they were in a new family. They treated each other like they were in a new family. If they saw someone who was in need, they would give to that person. If they saw someone who was hurting, they served and sacrificed for that person. Why? Because that's what families do. They serve and sacrifice for each other. Church is where you serve and sacrifice for others. The new Christians didn't just believe they were in a new family. They acted as if they were in a new family. If one of them had a need, they helped with that other person's need. If one of them was hurting, the church came around that person and lifted them up. Maybe I've told you this story before, but uh, I remember me and my wife and, and some friends going on this particularly scary hike. And we were going up really, really high. And it was really scary. At least for me, it was very scary. And as we're going on this hike, this hike was, it was clogged full of people. And I do mean clogged, like you had to wait for people in front of you to move ahead. And so it was kind of scary because you, you had to focus not just on where you were stepping, you had to focus on the people in front of you and the people behind you. So pretty scary. But one thing I saw, maybe I've told you guys this before, this is, but this is really cool what I saw was these group of kids that were doing the same hike. It was a dangerous hike, I think. It was a dangerous hike. And so these group of kids were doing it. And I noticed that they were all, they were all tied to each other. They all had like this little harness thing, as if you were to go rock climbing or something. They all had this har these harnesses on, and these harnesses were attached to each other uh, so that if one person fell, the others could, could hold them back. Everyone, one fell over because they tripped wrong or they stepped in the wrong place. They could all hold each other up. And at the very front, there was an older guy, 
A guy who, who looked like he knew what he was doing. A guy who looked like he had done this before. He'd done this for many, many years. He was the one that was leading the way for all these kids. And all the kids were in tow. And they were following their leader. And they were all holding each other up so that if one stumbled, everyone else could hold each other up. That is what the church does. If someone falls, we help pick them back up. In the church, we help each other. We serve each other. We sacrifice for each other. That's what families do. We serve and sacrifice for each other freely, expecting nothing in return. It's just what families do. We serve and we sacrifice. If there is one group of people we should be able to come to for help, it's the people at church. And this strikes at the heart of how we see others in the church as foreigners or family members. You see, when we see others as foreigners, we keep to ourselves. We look out for ourselves, and we look down at others. But when we see others as family members, we have no, we're no problem serving and engaging and sacrificing for people. Believers ought to be the people, if they see someone hurting or if they hear of someone who is in need, we ought to be the people that help that person. Believers ought to be the people who pray for each other. Believers ought to be the people that, that help each other out in tough times. Believers ought to be, the church should be the place, the church ought to be the people who look out for others as much as they look out for themselves. What makes the church the church is not just a unique set of beliefs, but a unique set of behaviors. It's not just about what we believe that sets us apart. It's how we treat each other that sets us apart. It's how we behave with each other. It's how we serve and sacrifice for each other. That's what sets us apart. That's what allows us to be an ecclesia, a called out assembly of people. Jesus didn't see us as foreigners. He saw us as family members. And how do we know this? Because he died for us. He shed his blood for us because he sacrificed for us. You see this in Acts chapter 20. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has, Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Why? Because he's purchased it with his own blood. The church Jesus has purchased with his own blood. If we want to be more like Christ, then we should love what he loved and he loved the church. If we want to be more like Christ, we should serve those who he served and he served the church. The church was purchased with the blood he spilled on the cross. Now it is our turn to sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed for others because that's what families do. Well, let's look at what else the, family, uh, the church does. Verse number 46. We already read it. Let's read it again. We, we skipped over something. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. The two uh, phrases here, the, the one word and the one phrase, with one accord. At the very top of that verse, with one accord. And at the very bottom of that verse, it said singleness of heart. With one accord. What does one accord mean? It's not talking about the Honda. They, they weren't all in the same car. One accord, what does that mean? It means they were gathering together daily in the temple. As the new believers began to grow in their new faith, and as they began to spend time with other believers, they also began to gather at the temple to worship together, to pray together, to pray for one another, to hear the teaching and preaching of the apostles. And they loved this gathering. So can you imagine this? They loved this gathering so much that they met together at church every single day. 
Can you imagine that? If our service times were Sunday, 10.30 a.m., Monday, 10.30 a.m., Tuesday, and you had a text from me every single day, hey, you coming to church today? Hey, you come to church today? Hey, why weren't you at church yesterday? What's up? Everything okay? What's up with your family? And, and you have to give six excuses instead of just one, right? You have to give all these. And so these guys went to church every single day because they loved it. It's what they did. They gathered together. They loved this gathering so much they win it every day. Why? Because that's what families do. They gather together. The church is made up of a family of believers who love to gather together. The church was made to gather together. I remember growing up, and this is one of the, the family reunions that wasn't awkward. This is one of the family reunions that was great. Every year, almost every year, my, our family, we would have a beach house. I mean, on my, on my mom's side. And, and on my mom's side, there's tons of people. They, they just had, they had 11, 11 kids in the family. Tons of kids, tons of grandkids. So we all went to the beach house. We rented a massive house, all had a beach house, and I was just a little kid. And we had fun at this beach house. We had all of us cousins together, all the whole entire family together. I have a, a picture of it. I have a couple pictures of it. This is all of us gathering together. This is me right here. And this, I, the reason it's pixelated is because this is taken with one of those click cameras, and you have to go, you have to go, and then take another picture, and you have to take it to the developer at Walmart. Some of you young people are like, what even is that? Like, this is a picture of us. And every single evening at this beach house, I think we have another picture of it. Every single evening at our beach house, this is all of us cousins, and uh, this is me right here. And so all of us cousins, we'd gather together at the very end of the evening every single night at the beach house. And what we would do is we'd have a bonfire. Love bonfires, right? Bonfires are the best. You get the fire as big as you can. You throw stuff in it, hopefully, hoping it will explode. All of us getting together, having a bonfire, it's just a great time. And you know the, why, the reason it was great is because throughout the day, we'd have sandcastle, uh, we'd have sandcastle competitions. Some of the ladies would play volleyball, and some of us would do stuff. We'd watch TV, Brave Little Toaster, and you know, all these, all these, as a kid, you would watch all this stuff. And it was always cool because at the very end of the evening, that's when all of us would gather together. We have the bonfire. We talk. We play games. We just roast marshmallows. At the very end of the evening, that's when we gather together. That's what families do is they gather together. That's what the church does is gather together because we are a family. Why do we gather together as a church? Because that's what families do. Families gather together, and that's why the church gathers together. From the very beginning, God designed the Christian life to revolve around coming together as a family of believers. The church isn't just a group. The church is a group, but the church isn't just a group. It's a gathering of people. You see this Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking what? The assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more uh, as you see it the day approaching. Don't miss the times when your church family gathers together because that's where you're built up and encouraged. That's where you're helped. Gathering together throughout our week, and you guys know this, you don't need me to tell you this, throughout our week we're, we're constantly and consistently being bombarded by, by, by temptation, by problems, by negativity, by issues, by decisions, by transitions. Throughout the, the week, life tries to grind us down. Church is the one place, the one place we can go to where we're being built up. 
Church is the one place where we can gather around, and it's not our, our boss, it's not the people that we know in town that are grinding us down, they're just full of negativity, and they're just giving us problems, and they're saying mean things. Church is the one place where the people that are sitting next to you, they're out, they're here so they can help you. They're here so they can encourage you. They're here so they can pray with you. That's why gathering together is important, because that's what families do, is they gather together, they help each other out. Church is the one place that's devoted to strengthening your faith. Restoration Baptist Church is devoted to leading you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Restoration Baptist Church is devoted to leading your children into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. Gathering together as a church is unique from all other gatherings on earth. No other gathering is like gathering together as a church. You read Acts chapter chapter 2, the feeling you get, the sense that you get, the undeniable sense that you get from these people is that they loved gathering together. They couldn't wait to do it. They were excited about it because the church wasn't just a piece of their life. It was a passion. It wasn't just something they did or hoped to do. It was a priority, something they looked forward to. It's something they marked on their calendar. It's something that if something else came up, that something else wasn't going to keep them from church because they were determined to gather together. Every time we gather together as a church, God is meeting here with us. Don't you love that? Matthew chapter 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. God is here with us this morning. God is here speaking to us. Every time we have the word of God open, every time his, his, his name is being lifted up as we sing songs to him, Jesus is here worshiping and he is here being lifted up from those songs. Every time God sees you here worshiping and praising him, he gets excited. Every time he looks down on us gathering together as a church, he smiles. He says, this is an amazing thing. You know why? Because you ever had a friend who liked the same thing that you did, but you just didn't know it? Remember, you ever, maybe you think of yourself, maybe you like a particular sports team, and you, you had a friend, or you, you meet someone, and you start talking about your, your, your sports team that you like, and they say, oh, that's my team. Oh, that's awesome. And you get excited, and he gets excited because you like the same team. I'm like this when it comes to like Star Wars or sci-fi books. Oh, you like Star Wars? You're my best friend. Let's hang out. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. Let's go someplace. You like Star Oh, you like politics? Or you like food? I, you're the best. You like all these different things? Or you like the same things my kids like? Oh, that's awesome. That's how God feels when you are gathering together and you love the church. It's, oh, you like the church? You like gathering together? That's what I love. You know why God is excited when he sees us gathering together? Because it shows him that we love the same things he loves. And God loves it when we love the same things he loves. No one loves seeing you here as much as God does. Maybe you're thinking, or maybe you, you know someone who thinks to themselves, or he's told you, or she's told you that they, they think this, that, that they ask you, I don't understand, why do we have to worship God at church? I can worship God anywhere, right? Maybe you've had that before. Maybe you thought that. I can worship God anywhere. I can be in my fishing boat. I worship God there. I can be, I can be on vacation. I mean, I can worship God anywhere. Why do I need to go to a church? Think of, just, just, just stop and think about that for a second. If, if you have a child that, that came up to you, or if you don't have any kids, just imagine you had kids. You had your child that came up to you and said, you know, Mom, you know, Dad, um, I just don't feel like I have to come home anymore. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm just going to go to the beach. I'm going to live on the beach. That's what I'm going to do. Or I'm going to go to the lake. I'm going to live at the lake because I don't need to come home in order to be part of the family. And, and I suppose if you were to think about that, that's kind of true, 
regardless of where your child is on the face of this planet, they're still your child. But part of being a family means coming together. You would say, well, no, you don't have to be with us. You don't have to be home in order to be part of the family. But that's what families do is they, they come together and we, we have a good time. We play games. We talk. And you need the family. You need to be a part of the family because you, you, you have growing to do. You have things to learn. You have, you have, you have, you want to, you can, your life can be something. You want to gather together. Why do we come together and worship God? Because that's what families do. We're part of a spiritual family. That's what, because there's people here who want to help you. There's people who want to be an encouragement to you. Why do we gather? You can worship anywhere. Yes, you can worship God anywhere. But there's a specific place God wants you to worship. And it's at the church. You can be committed to, the, uh, to, to church, but not committed to Christ. But you cannot be committed to Christ and not be committed to his church. The church was made to gather together. Now look at verse number 46. We get back to daily with one accord in the temple. And at the very end of the verse, singleness of heart. What's he talking about here? Again, this is an amazing statement because the, the new church was made up of individuals from all over the world. They had, they had almost nothing in common. So what does it mean? It means they were unified with one accord. They were unified. They were together. They were singleness of heart. They had unity in the church. Did you imagine that? These people from all around the world. Imagine if we had people from Asia, we had people from Africa, we had people from Europe. Nobody spoke the same language. We had people from South America, all over the place coming together. And they're in one accord? They had unity together? The world is looking for unity. They lived in unity with each other. To find unity anywhere, to find unity anywhere is a rare thing. The world is looking for unity. All of us are looking for unity. All of us are looking to be unified, to live in one accord with other people. The world is looking for unity. It's looking for something that will bring everyone together and give everyone peace and we all look for it. We look for it in different places. The world looks for it. The world looks for it in, in sports, in, in political parties, in hobbies, in neighborhoods, in cities, in countries, in, in race. We look for it all over the place. We look for unity. We are constantly looking for something that will bring us together. But the only person who can truly bring unity to this world is Jesus Christ. The only person who can truly unify and bring people together is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate example of people living in one accord and living in singleness of heart with other people. You see, See, these people probably had different values. They didn't agree on all the same things, yet they are living in one accord because that's what following Jesus does. It allows us to live in unity. And one day when we meet Jesus face to face, that is when we'll finally experience unity, regardless of who you are, regardless of uh, what you like, what you know, what you own, how much you have, how much you do not have, how much you make, the color of your skin, all the things in your life that set you apart and make you different. One day when we see Jesus in heaven, we will experience unity one day in heaven. Heaven will be a place where all of mankind can experience unity. An amazing thing that one day in heaven we'll be able to experience that. Right now, the church is supposed to be what heaven will one day be. Living in unity. Church is the place that ought to feel a little bit like heaven because we are living in unity in the midst of diversity. You see, how can we say we love God who we cannot see if we don't love God's people who we can see? 
one, one preacher said. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same ju judgment. What's that talking about? It's talking about unity. But I want to I illustrate this really quickly. I don't know if you guys are musically gifted. I'm musically challenged. I don't know that much about music. And I've kind of given up because I've noticed that I can't carry a tune. I'm not really good at music. And I, I have a guitar, though. I took a couple lessons. But I have a guitar. I haven't picked it up in a while. But one thing I do know about instruments is that they, they need to be tuned every once in a while, right? So you have a, a piano. You have a guitar. You have, I think it's usually stringed instruments. You guys don't hold it against me if I'm wrong on that. But I think usually stringed instruments, they, they, need, to be, they need to be tuned from time to time. Well, I have a particular, I have a guitar, and you tune the guitar. At the very top of the guitar, there's these little knobs, right? You guys ever seen that in a guitar? Uh, you have these little, little knobs, and you, you know those people, you see the people that know guitars, they'll, like, they'll, they'll ding the guitar, and they listen to it, and they move the little knobs, you know, and they, they, they try to make it sound right. And so, well, one of the things, one of the easy ways to do that is, is getting a little app on your, on your phone. And you can, you can strum your guitar, and it, the, the phone will pick up the noise and show you if your, if your guitar is in tune or if that particular string is in tune. Well, back in the day before they had that, they had what was called a tuning fork. And so you would, you would hit this, and in the, the sound that it would create, you would try to get that particular string or that particular note on your guitar or your violin uh, to, to match the noise that's coming out of here. And so you can, you can even hit it now. Something like that. Again, I don't know that much, but that's what you do. You, you make a noise with it, and, and you, you make sure that your guitar, your violin, your, whatever your instrument is, is matched that. And you have to make sure, and you get all of, the, all of the different strings. I think there's like six or eight strings. You get all the strings on your particular instrument, and you hit this, and maybe it's a different fork for a different note. You, you hit the different strings, you hit the, you hit the fork, and you get them all in tune with the tuning fork. That's what you do to get it in tune. And when, when that particular instrument is in tune, when each string is in tune with the tuner, then that instrument will be in harmony with itself. All the strings will be in harmony with each other if it is tuned to the tuner. Christians, when we are in tune with Jesus Christ, will live in harmony and unity with each other. When we are tuned to Jesus Christ, we're not tuned to other things. We're not tuned to the world. We're not tuned to the culture. We're not tuned to some of our ideas. When we're tuned to Jesus Christ, we'll live in unity with each other. Just as an instrument, when it's tuned up to the tuner, it's in harmony with the rest of the instrument. That is what God wants us to be. That's the life. That's what the, God wants the church to be. He wants it to be in tune with him. When we are in tune with Christ, we are in unity with each other. And that kind of unity is experienced exclusively in the church. And that's why the church is important.